Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, grab your Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians. If you need a Bible under a seat close by, you'll find one, a hardcover black one. If you don't own a Bible, grab that. We'd love for you to leave with that. That's our gift to you. But 1 Thessalonians will be towards the back of that Bible. Get there with me as we begin chapter 2 here today. Uh, but as you turn there, um, there's, a, there's a pretty well-known quote among, in Christian circles, and it's kind of one of these social media quotes that will spread around, and, 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 and we, we like this. We like this quote. Uh, there's so much about this quote that draws us in and, and really resonates with our heart. Uh, this quote has been attributed to, uh, to be spoken by a guy by the name of St. Francis of Assisi, and uh, the quote says this, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. How many of you have heard this quote before, seen it on social media? And so what, what we love about this and what resonates with our heart as we read a quote like this is it speaks to um, our life, our life communicating something that our lips communicate, our life looking like that of Jesus and like that of a Jesus follower. But, but there's a massive, massive problem with this quote. And so some of you like, this is your favorite quote. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But there's a massive problem with this quote. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. So what's the problem with this quote? In order to understand what the problem with this quote is, in order for us to really grasp where Paul goes in our passage here today, we have to understand a right definition of what the gospel is. And so let's get all on the same page this morning and define the gospel. Um, but before we do, so those of you who've been parents and you know the feeling of maybe your toddler or, or your, your young child coming up to you and asking you to define something that is so familiar in your life that they're like, mommy, daddy, what is that? When you have to define something so familiar, you're like, how, how would I define this? And for some of us here, we've grown up in the church maybe for so long. And Christians, we've thrown out this term, gospel, gospel, gospel. The gospel has changed me. The gospel this. The gospel's everything to me. Sometimes when we go to define it, someone says, what's the gospel? We're like, yeah, what, what is the gospel? How would we define it? And maybe if you're here and you're kind of new to this church thing, new to this Jesus thing, and you're like, I do, I hear Christians talk about this word all the time, the gospel. What in the world does the gospel mean? So let's get a definition together. The gospel, first and foremost, is a message. The gospel is a message. And so with that understanding of what the gospel is, we go back now and we know immediately that a, a message is always meant to be communicated. A message is meant to have a communicator and someone hearing that, uh, someone speaking, someone receiving. The gospel, first and foremost, is a message, and it's a message of good news. This is what gospel means. It means good news. And so in order for someone to know what the good news is, we have to use our words. We have to tell them what the message is. What in the world is the good news? The gospel is a message of good news that Jesus has paid the ransom price for my sin. Amen to that? Jesus has paid the ransom price. What in the world do we mean by that? Um, if, if, you, if you're not 
familiar with this gospel thing. You've seen the movies. You, you know, someone gets kidnapped. Some car gets hijacked. They're, they're, they're holding someone and they're holding someone ransom. And so the bad guy makes the call and he says, I'll give you back so-and-so when you deliver this sum of money that we can make the exchange. That's a ransom price. What in the world did Jesus have to pay a ransom price for? Here's the deal. All of us in here have been plagued by this soul cancer called sin. Not one of us in here hasn't been touched by it. In fact, we probably have to look as far back as like when we got up this morning. And between 7 a.m. and 11 a.m., there's been some sin going on. All of us have been plagued by this cancer. And the Bible says this, that we sang about it. You are holy, holy, holy. Though the eye of sinful man, thy glory cannot see. Sin cannot be in the presence of a holy God. The Bible says that the penalty for sin is death. And then here comes our good God, sending his very son to pay that ransom price on our behalf. That's good news. The gospel is a message of good news that Jesus has paid the ransom price for my sin. He didn't sin. He didn't owe it. He owed zero and he paid it all for us, but the gospel is not done there. The gospel is a message of good news that Jesus has paid the ransom price for my sin. It'll be the longest definition you've ever seen, okay? But it's so good. We can't sum it up in a few words. And in repenting and embracing him by faith, I am given life. That when we get this, that the ransom price for our sin has been paid by Jesus Christ on our behalf, this, this, this church word, this repenting happens. We go from walking in this direction where we thought life was all about us and it was all about what I can get next and whatever will make me happy. And we look at this and we say, this isn't it. A savior come and he has paid the ransom price and he's called me to repent. It literally means to turn around. It literally means a change of mind. And we now begin to walk in the direction of the savior and we embrace him as Lord. And the Bible says this, that it's Jesus embracing him. John 10, 10, he gives us life abundant and life eternal. That is the gospel message. And so when we see this quote, uh, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words, we have to understand the gospel by its very definition has to be communicated with words or no one can understand that. When, when, we, when we only adhere to, um, I, I show the, okay, you might tell the gospel with your mouth, but I show the gospel with my life. No one can get that by just watching your life. They just go, wow, he's a really great guy. He's a really great girl. But so, some of you are pushing back though. I know you, I know you're out there. You're like, but I like that quote still. Because, because I don't want to be one of these only, no, let me preach the gospel, let me preach the gospel, and then my life looks like a train wreck on the other side. Are you saying that our life doesn't matter? That, our, that we can't make a difference by how we're living? No, it absolutely matters. There's something powerful that happens when this message we proclaim with our mouth, when, 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 when our mouth becomes a megaphone of the gospel, and our life becomes a billboard backing it up. 
There's something powerful that God uses when, when we begin to both tell of the gospel and show of the gospel, when we begin to share the gospel with our mouth and show the gospel with our life. And as we get into 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul's going to lay out for us five things we must know about showing and telling the gospel. But here's the thing. Today is only a good, today, like every Sunday, is only as good as what we do with it. Today's message is about sharing the gospel. And that is only as good as what we leave and do with it. When you preach for a living, people ask you all the time, like on Sunday afternoon, how's the message today? I don't know. I'll tell you Friday. What do you mean? A message is only as good as as our obedience to God's word. It doesn't matter if it was super engaging or really entertaining or really funny. None of that matters if we don't walk out of here and obey what God has said to do. And so today's message is only as good as what we do with it. Think about this on every other level. Police departments, before a big operation, a big mission, they gather in a room and they get briefed on what the mission or the operation is. Military, you get briefed on it and then you leave the room and you actually go execute the mission. Am I right? Uh, Sports teams, you huddle, you get the play and then you say, ready? Some of you got ready? And you leave and go run the play. In every other area, like it would never make sense if we went to a sporting event and the team just stayed in a huddle the whole time. I ain't paying to watch that. Our police force would not be very good if they just sat and talked about the briefing on the mission the whole time and never actually left and did anything about it. Christians, we've done it for far too long. We've stayed in the huddle And we come in here on Sunday and we huddle, huddle, huddle. And this is good. Is this what God's called us to do? To gather together as believers, to encourage each other, to be taught from his word and to worship him? Everyone say yes. But there has to come a ready break. The gathering has to lead to the scattering. And we have to go preach the gospel. But I'm not a preacher. I hope by the end of this, you see today that all of us have been called to carry this message of the gospel to a dying world. Father, come now. You preach this. Lord, you know more than any of us here the the impact this could have if we're obedient to your word right here. Father, you know the lives that you want to see changed. If only us gathered here today will be obedient to go share the gospel. Father, please, this cannot be This cannot be 25 minutes of some pep talk. Lord, this has to be infused by the power of your spirit who's who's bringing your word to life in our heart and exploding our hearts for lost people all around us. Only you can do that, Lord. Only you can do that. Only you can bring your word right now to life in our heart. And so, Father, I beg of you in these moments right here, as we expound on your word, as we unpack them and pull them off the page, would you drive them into our heart in a way that will prompt us to leave here and live in obedience to them? Do it by the power of your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writes, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. 
But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Now stop right there because Paul pulls in some background that we need to understand. He tells us, he, he references the city he was in before he came to Thessalonica, and it's this city called Philippi. And he says while he was in Philippi, some stuff went down. Uh, things got hard. What in the world happened in Philippi? Let's pick up the back end of that story, Acts chapter 16. It's on the screen. It says, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept their practice. The crowd joined in and in attacking them. Paul and his companions. Then, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. That's what went down in Philippi. Paul comes to town and he's, he begins preaching. He begins proclaiming this message, this good news. And some people didn't like it. And we always jump to like the beating with rods part or the thrown into prison and fastened part. Did you catch the first part? They tore his clothes off him. He was beaten by rods naked. And then they picked his naked body off the ground and they threw his naked body into the prison and they fastened his feet in. This is what went down in Philippi. And then guess what? Uh, the Lord miraculously leads them to escape from prison. And Paul's like, okay, I'm done with this. I'm not doing this anymore. Is that what happened? He's like, next city. Where are we going now? Lord, where now? Thessalonica. Sweet, let's go. He walks in, preaches the message. Uh, some people get saved. A lot more get mad. Three weeks later, he's got to escape the city under the cover of night because the same thing's going to happen. Every city Paul went into, this was the formula. Arrive in a city, preach the gospel. Some get saved. A lot more get mad. They either beat him, stone him, imprison him, or all of the above. And then Paul says, let's go do it again. This, folks, is crazy. What in the world would drive someone to do this city after city after city after city? Paul actually tells us in his own words what he expected every city he went into. Acts 20, 23. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. He knew it. He knew it when he walked through the city gate. Yep, I'm going to get beat here. Yep, I'm going to get stoned. You know, in one of these cities, I'm not even going to walk out alive. How? Does anyone else have that question? How? How do you do this? How do you subject yourself to that treatment city after city after city? Back in your Bible, verse 2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had, finish it, Boldness in who? We had boldness in our 
God. Five must-knows of showing and telling the gospel. The first is this, I need the boldness of God to share the gospel, no matter the cost. I need the boldness of God to share the gospel. Hear that. Paul did not say we did this because we're studs. We walked in, we're so bold. Like we are so bold that we don't care who be. He's not, someone, not what he said. He's not clinging to his boldness here. He is clinging to the boldness God is giving them to fulfill the mission that he has called him to. And what's absolutely amazing is we look at this and we think, yeah, but I'm not that bold. Like, I don't have the boldness of God like Paul had. Like, Paul, how did you have the boldness of God? Listen now, this is not a message on us like flexing our muscles and going, we're going to leave here more bold to share the gospel. Not more bold than ourselves. We don't have to muster up any more boldness. In fact, God has given us all the boldness we need to go be a witness for him. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive what? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is a word when the, when, when the first disciples are waiting for the Spirit of God to come. He says, don't do anything. Wait for the Spirit. But when, when, the, when the Spirit comes and when the, it's the, the Spirit of God indwells a believer, you will have all the power that you need to go witness to the gospel. If we know Jesus, we have all we need by the Spirit of God to have the power we need to share with people. But why don't we do it? Well, because the gospel is a free message that is often very costly to the one who speaks it. We've seen the example from Paul. What did it cost him? Uh, physical beatings, imprisonment, stonings, eventual death. What does it cost us? It can cost us a promotion. It can cost us our job in some instances by pro being proclaimers of the gospel. It can cost us a very awkward relationship now with people who don't respond super great to what we had to say. But anytime I'm tempted, and I am often to shrink back from sharing the gospel because I'm scared. I try to imagine I'm having a conversation with the Apostle Paul. Paul, I, 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 don't, I don't think I'm going to share the gospel with them. Why would they kill you? No, they won't kill me. Oh, they'll drag you in the street naked and beat you with rods before the whole city? No, they won't do that. That'd be terrifying, though. So you'll go to prison if you do. No. I'm, I'm not, not going to share the gospel with them because um, it could get really awkward. Can you imagine Paul sitting across the table like, you want to hear awkward? Awkward's getting pelted in the face with one stone, that eye swelling and trying to see who I'm talking to. Do you want to talk about awkward? Like, this wasn't even a concept to the early Christians. You're telling me you're not going to tell someone about Jesus because they might not like you anymore. They, they might think you're a little weird. That's not even 
a concept here. And yet, let's be honest, that whole fear of man thing and sharing the gospel is a very, very real thing to us. We, I'm not trying to discredit. I feel it. Oh, really, Lord, you want me to go engage that? Okay, how do I do that? Paul speaks to this fear of man thing. Go on, verse 3. He says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be, what's the word? Entrusted. We'll come back to that. Hold on to that. With the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Now, we have to understand here the context of the the times in which Paul is writing. Um, There's some things that Paul writes here that hearken to a very common practice of Paul's day. People like Paul weren't that um, out of the norm in this day. Traveling teachers. Um, in, in this day, if, if your family wanted some entertainment, you didn't go down to the bowling alley. You didn't, you didn't go do a lot of the th- things we turned to. There were teachers who would travel from city to city, and they'd carry with them the philosophies of, as they thought of the day. And so it's not that uncommon for a traveling teacher to come to a city and to be teaching some things, but I want you to see some things Paul pulls out here. He says, when we came to you, we didn't come to please you. Verse five, we never came with words of flattery. As you know, nor did we come with a pretext for greed. You know what the typical traveling teacher came for? Two things, glory from the people and the money of the people. That's what the typical traveling teacher was after. I want you to think I'm real great. And in the process, once you think I'm real great, yep, I'll reach my hand right into your back pocket and take your wallet with me. And Paul goes, guys, you know it. When we came to you, I mean, how much did we offend y'all? We did not care. We did not give a lick about what you thought of us. We did not come to please you at all. We came to please God. Five must knows of showing and telling the gospel. The second is this. I share the gospel to please God, not people. Let that be freeing for you. And it all goes back to that one little word in verse four that I had you read out loud that starts with an E. What was it? Paul understood something. He had been entrusted with the message from the king. The message was called the gospel, and the king is the Lord. And any messenger of a king knows the only thing I need to worry about is walking down to the street corner and making sure I deliver this message as accurately as the king gave it to me to give. But don't you care what people think? No, I don't care at all. I care what the king thinks. Because if I don't get this right, I'll stand before him one day. We folks get an awesome privilege of being messengers of the king. He sends us down to the street corner with this message called the gospel. And oh, by the way, this gospel message is the hope of every heart that walks on this earth. And he says, just give the message. But what we so often do is we judge how it went based on the other person's response. 
Okay, I'm ready. I'm going to go share Jesus with them. I'm going to go tell them about the gospel. And it doesn't go well. And we equate that to a fail. That's not a fail. Understand something. We are entrusted with the work of sharing the gospel. God is entrusted with the work of saving with the gospel. Never confuse those two. Because the moment we believe, okay, I got to save them. I got to, you're a sorry savior. I'm sorry. We are sorry saviors. If it all depends on how articulate our gospel presentation is, man, we are hopeless. But if it rests on God and on the power of his word and on him doing the saving, we're in good shape. It's our, he's like, messenger, go. I've given you the message. Just be faithful to give it. Just be faithful to give it. Just be faithful to give it. But what if it doesn't go well? That's not on you. We spread the gospel to please God, not people. And so these five must knows, these first two are kind of more in the realm of sharing the gospel, but doesn't our life make a difference? Shouldn't our life back up that, that which our mouth is proclaiming? Yes, it should. Verse seven. Before we get into this, this is, I believe, a couple of the greatest verses on how our, our sharing of the gospel with people should flow out of this deep, deep love for these people. I want you to hear Paul's tone as he writes this. I want you to feel his affection. I want you to hear what he thinks of these Thessalonians. Verse 7, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Do you want to see your brother come to know the Lord? Does he understand how, how, how dear he is to you? Do you want to see our neighbors come to know the Lord? Do you want to see our coworkers come to know the Lord? Do they understand the love that we have for them? That doesn't save them. The Lord's going to save them. But there's something that happens as we as believers pour out this, you have become so dear to us type of love for people. No, Paul's, Paul's like, I'm not interested in the gospel grenade. But pull the pin gospel. There's what you need to know, but I don't really care at all about getting to know you. Paul says, you have to hear something and I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to serve you and I'm going to love you as I tell you and as I tell you and as I tell you. And you might say over and over and over again, I do not agree with what this man thinks about being saved and all that, but I tell you what, I cannot disagree with the way that they've loved me. Five must knows of showing and telling the gospel. I share both the gospel and my life with people. It's easier to just share the gospel. It's easier to just throw the gospel grenade. Okay, yep, did it. Got that off my back. I told them it's much harder to walk with someone in deep, deep love 
as you do it. And Paul kind of continues this theme here as he goes on verse nine. He says, for you remember brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a, what's the word he uses? But we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Remember now, typical traveling teacher after two things, the glory from the people and the money of the people. And he goes, you know, that wasn't us. When we came to you, we worked night and we worked day. We worked, till our, we worked our fingers to the bone, providing for ourselves so that we were not one ounce of a burden to you at all. We did not ask you for one penny. In fact, we sought to be a lifter of your burdens in the process here. He says, when we came to you with the gospel, we did not burden you at all. Have you ever helped someone move? And, uh, and you got on the other one end of the heaviest dresser in the house. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about, JMO? <laughs> and as you're holding this, you walk through the front door and like the host is there and they're like, hey, how are you? So good to see you. Thanks for your help today. How are the kids? How's the family? What do you want to say to them at that moment? I love you and Jesus, but shut up and tell me where this dresser goes right now. While we're carrying a burden, our ears are closed to everything that's going on around us. Let me let the burden down. Then I'll listen to what you have to say. We do not save anyone, but can we assist the Holy Spirit by helping alleviate the burdens of unbelieving people that open their ears just a little bit wider to the gospel message that we have then to say to them? Am I and are you the greatest blessing to unbelievers in your family? If you moved out of your neighborhood, would there be tears over that amongst your neighbors? Because your house had been the lighthouse of greatest blessing to those people. Would your coworkers say that you are the greatest, greatest lifter of burdens for them? That you're just the greatest blessing because as followers of Jesus, as we seek to be a blessing and not a burden, there's something in there that I believe just opens the pathway of the year. Say, something's different about you. Tell 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 me what's at the heart of that. If I must know as a showing and telling the gospel, I seek to bless and not burden those I'm sharing the gospel with. And then as Paul ties this up, don't miss this fifth one. He says, verse 10, you are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, 
we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to what? To walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Get this now. Number five, I teach those who accept the gospel how now to walk with Jesus. He says, did you notice the two illustrations in this passage? Go back up. Verse seven. But we were gentle among you like what? Like a nursing mother. Go down, verse 11. For you know how like a what? Like a father with his children. Paul says, you want to know what we were like with you? We were like a nurturing mother. We were like an instructing father. And he says, that instruction, we exhorted each of you. We encouraged you. We charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. You know what we so often can do? Oh, good. You're saved. Okay, listen. It's a hard world out there. Good luck. What if we did that with our kids? Trey, good, man. You're born. You're here. Okay, a couple things. Hard world. It's going to be, it's going to stink at times, buddy. Good luck to you, okay? No, we hold their hands as they toddle along and learn how to walk. They hit the teenage years and make fantastic decisions, right? And with the gentleness of a father, we come alongside and we correct. Don't leave new believers hanging. After someone has come to know the Lord, it's now our time. The the Great Commission says to go and to baptize and to... And to teach, teach them what it looks like to follow Jesus. And this is hard work, but we can't leave new believers hanging. Oh, good. You're saved. Good luck. Paul says, that's not what we did. Like a father, we exhorted you and we encouraged you and we instructed you how to now walk this new faith out. But we said as we started today, today is only as good as what we now go and do with it. We're about to walk out of the whole mission briefing room. We're about to break the huddle. And we have a decision to make, whether we will be obedient to run to a dying world with the message of hope that we have called the gospel. If you've been saved by the gospel here, you have been called to the spread of the gospel. This is, as I love to say, an all skate. We're all in on this. There's not one of us here who are exempt of this call and command. And my hope today is that the anthem of our hearts as we leave here is this, that I will share the gospel with my mouth and I will show the gospel with my life. 
that my mouth will become a megaphone of this message of hope to a dying world, and my life will be the billboard that backs up everything that megaphone is saying. That how I love them and how I share the message of hope of Jesus with them is backed up by how I love them and how I serve them. And so many of us in here can look back at our own stories and go, yep, that's who shared the gospel with me. That's when I came to know the Lord. But man, did they share way more than words with me in the process of that. We have in this message, the healing balm of every scorched heart that's walking on this planet. We have a message that brings life to dying souls. We have a message that speaks peace into people's utter chaos. We have a message from a king that tells them how they can have life abundant and life eternal. And in God's grand plan, his master wisdom, he said, here's how I want this message to spread across the globe. I want my followers to be faithful to go share it with other people. Someone else will do it. We don't know that. But there will be tomorrow. We don't know that. God in his goodness, I was done with my run through yesterday morning a little early. And so I had a few minutes before I had to head back home. And sometimes it's just good. If Sometimes when you're a preacher, it's just good to listen to preaching. And um, I pulled up a sermon by a guy named D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, English preacher from years and years and years ago. It's cool, right? so cool right there on the page. There's a a message on the gospel. And I don't know about you, but I can listen to a message like this. I can study this all week and I can try to make it very formulaic. Okay, yep, now I heard a message on this. Now I got to go share the message and, and I got to be bolder. And we can leave really convicted over this. And Martin Lloyd-Jones just did such a good job of bringing this out. We won't do this unless the gospel is an absolute treasure of our heart. We won't do this unless it's such a treasure of our heart that as I sit and I write a sermon on preaching the gospel in a Starbucks, I'm not utterly burdened for all the people sitting at tables around me who don't know Jesus. We won't do it. If we don't sit in the early hours of the morning and preach the gospel to ourselves, and let our hearts just soak in that. So then when we get up to go on with our day, it's just flowing out of who we are and how we live because we've, once again, another morning, we've tasted the goodness of it. And we can't make this the treasure of our heart. The Spirit of God has to come right now and make this the treasure of our heart. And when it is, we won't be able to go anywhere and we won't be able to see anyone without telling them of the hope of the world. 
folks, he's called us to it. And he's empowered us to do it. But it might be awkward. I will take awkward for the next two minutes, for the next two million years of their eternity, sure, with Jesus. So as we close, I just want you to stand to your feet. And as you stand to your feet, I just, I want even this motion of you standing um, uh, to be symbolic of us getting ready to go with the gospel message because we've gathered here today, church, and we've been instructed from his word, but today is only as good as what we'll do when we scatter from here. Will we be faithful with those in our family who don't know Jesus Christ? Will we be faithful with those we work with and our friends and they've been friends for years and decades and we've never told them of Jesus? Will we, will we be faithful that our, li- that our house will become a lighthouse in our neighborhood? That many neighbors will get on their knees and surrender to the Lordship of Christ in their life in your living room. And so yes, preach the gospel at all times but it is absolutely necessary that we use words in the process. And may your life back up the words that you proclaim with your mouth. Because the gospel, folks, is a message of good news that Jesus has paid the ransom price for my sin. And in repenting, and embracing him as Lord and King and Master and Commander and everything, we get life, life abundant and life eternal. And so let's go with the gospel, no more excuses. We've sat on our hands for far too long. Someone else isn't going to do it. There might not be tomorrow. We've sat on our hands for far too long. No more excuses. Let's go with the gospel. No more fear of what people will think. It will be awkward at times. I'll take two minutes of awkwardness for two million years with them in eternity. No more fear of what people think. Let's go with the gospel. No more mentality of sharing it only by how we live and never with our mouths. Let's go with the gospel and let's make sure our lives are backing up this good news that we're proclaiming. But it's time to go. We've gathered for instruction. It's time to go and execute the mission. We've got the play in the huddle. It's time to go run the play. We have the healing balm of scorched hearts, of people in chaos, of people searching for hope, of people who when you tell them will go, why didn't you tell me sooner? We have the healing balm. Let's go and give it. Father, come now. No, no pep talk, no, no Sunday morning pep talk will make us do this. You tell us that we have power from your spirit 
to be witnesses. And so, Father, I beg you, your spirit has to prompt us now. Your spirit has to be the one that, that, that puts someone on our heart and someone on our mind that, Lord, we will not delay any longer. Lord, your spirit has to come now and drive this in our hearts because if you don't, by the end of lunch today, Lord, our mind will be on something else and we'll just go on living like we have been, Lord. But if your spirit grips our heart and makes the gospel the absolute treasure of our life, Lord, this will change the way we live with everyone. So, Father, by your spirit, would we come and would we boast in you? Would we tell of you? Would we share the hope that we have? Father, would we give the healing balm that you've given us to give? Would we be spreaders of the message of hope? In Jesus' name.